Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. We are finally at a Parsha with big chunks of stuff that you might recognize. So, of course, that leaves Rabbi Schatz and I to do the work of finding fairly obscure things to bring to you that you might not have known are in this Parsha that we can talk about together. Um, and we're going to break protocol. It was Rabbi Schatz's idea. It wasn't mine. To break protocol. Topic, the topic was yours. Correct. Okay. I wanted to talk about ghosts. So we're going to talk about ghosts, who, to be clear, I ain't afraid of none of them. Um, and uh, instead of doing consecutive verses, we're actually going to... Um, pull three different verses ranging from across the Parsha, all connected to this theme to sort of compare, contrast, explore, um, etc. So forgive the breach in protocol, but it seemed to be the easiest way for Rabbi Schatz and I to do our best Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd impersonations. <laughs> I'll let you decide who's who. Um, so the it's Parshat Achrimot Kedoshim, um, double Parsha, double the fun. Um, it's fun. No? No questions? No? Yeah. I feel um, like we've spoken about this Parsha a lot, um, which happens, which happens when there are multiple deaths, uh, around a Parsha. Like, I just feel like I've spoken about Ahremo Kedoshim now for like a, a week and a half. So yes, it is a lot of fun and I'm very excited for Emor. Woohoo! <laughs> It's a great Parsha. I just thank you. You're welcome. I was very excited. Jonah was actually very excited to hear the beginning of Parsha Kedoshim is actually on the Atara of my Talit. It says Kedoshim Tihu Ki Ani Adonai Lehechem. So, fun Indeed. fact about fun fact. Uh, Matt Shapiro's ritual objects. Um, with that in mind, uh, so Parsha Kedoshim has it, it's it's not narrative. But there's a lot of pieces in there that that you know in terms of all the different ways in which we collectively aspire towards holiness. Um, that there are lots of greatest hits in there. And of course, because it's the Torah, there are also some bits that make you go hmm, a little bit more than others, um, including this cluster of verses that we are going to share with you. Now, Rabbi Shetz, any other, like, foregrounding you think we need on that? On the Parsha or on our topic specifically? Yes. Um, not on our topic specifically. I guess uh, this is just, this is one of those Parshiot that when you read through it, you recognize that there are that there are many different ways in which we create boundaries for ourselves as Jews. Um, it's actually what Mia Jacobs will be talking about Um for her bat mitzvah drash. And, uh, and it's just, it's an interesting thing to think about. And we're not talking about the same, which is the only reason I'm going to mention it now. It's interesting to think about that the Parsha called Kedoshim is the Parsha where we're not getting laws, but we are getting boundaries for how we hold ourselves as Jewish people in, in our tradition. So, I don't know why you're making faces at me. That was all fact. Um, but the what do, you, what do you mean they're What do you mean they're not 
laws. Like we're not being told to not eat meat and milk together. Like we're being told boundaries that become law later on by the rabbis, but there aren't, it's not, what, what is your issue? I I mean, I have a lot of issues. I don't know that that's accurate, but I'll let you finish and stop making face. Okay. Thank you. That'd be really kind. Um, I think that, that there is an element here of, of thinking through what, what we see as the way in which we practice our Judaism, and it is all through the lens of these boundaries, who we cannot sleep with, who we cannot create community with, what we are not supposed to believe in. And that's all because we're a part of this tradition, not because we're just, you know, people living in the world. So Yes, to to Rabbi Shapiro's face, we we do make these into laws later on in terms of the halachot of how we practice. But when reading them, they don't come across as law; they come across as boundaried practice. And I just find it interesting that that is called kedoshim, the ways in which we are holy. So I will now stop talking and do whatever he wants. That was that was a very abrupt muting. Um, okay, so because the verses are spread out a little bit, rather than going to our friendly neighborhood safaria, um, I actually just pulled together those verses. You're welcome to to go back and look at them yourselves, like the, with potentially the exception of the second verse we're going to look at, there there isn't much context for these other than they're part of like a litany of, you know, what, what I, what I would, can we, can we call them rules, if not laws? Um, what, right, a litany of rules, expectations, ways of being holy that are sort of listed out, like not, not in any real narrative order. So they're out of context in terms of how they're not like localized within um, the verses immediately before and after them. But my, my sense, Rabbi Schatz, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but my sense is that you're not you're not missing out much in terms of narrative context by isolating these verses from the verses immediately before or after. You say that's fair? No. I always want to be fair. Okay. Where'd they go? Where did the verses go? There they are. Okay. Keeps wanting me to play Ghostbusters again, which I'm not gonna do. Okay, here we are. So the first verse. So we're looking at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, and Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27. Um, so this first verse says, Al tifnu el ha'ovot ve'al ha'yid onim al tivakshu litumabahem ani adonai lehechem. Do not turn, and, and of course, always translation and interpretation are not so easily pulled apart, but we'll just go with the straightforward translation for now. Do not turn to ghosts and do not inquire of familiar spirits to be defiled by them. Uh, I, the Lord, am your God. So that's that's the first um, indication of what, of what we're talking about here. Um, the second verse, chapter 20, verse 6. V'hanefesh asher tifneh el ha'avot ve'el ha'yid onim lis not acharehem. And the person who turned to ghosts and familiar spirits and goes astray after them. V'natati el panai v'nefesh ha'hi. I will set my face against that person. 
Vehichrati Otoa Mekerev Amo, and I will I will cut him off from among his people. You you might recognize that that root of of karet, right? As like being cut off from from the people of Israel. It shows up in a number of legal contexts. Um, and the third verse, which actually interestingly is is the last verse of the parasha. A a man or a woman who has with who has within them or who has like bahem, it's it's an interesting framing, who has a ghost or a familiar spirit shall be put to death. Uh they shall be pelted with stones, their blood guilt shall be upon them. Um, so just one and a half notes, um, like linguistically. Um, the first of which is, as you guys know, I love I love my concordance dearly. Um, these words are unusual. Right, the, the this combination and the words themselves of avot ve yidonim um, really only show up in these three verses, as well as one verse in Dvarim in Deuteronomy and the Torah. It's very unusual. You you really don't see these verses at many other places. Um, and I'll just uh, like it's less linguistic and more like th- these all seem to be certainly thematically connected. Um, and the question is always is when you see verses that seem to be saying something mostly similar. There's, there's of course always the big picture kushia of, you know, why, why be repetitive? Why have, why have these verses? So with that, that was your cue, right? My shots. Okay. Um, any kushiot? I don't see any hands. Yes. Joanna. So the comments of, about that um, we don't see the words ovot or yidonim except here and then again later in Deuteronomy and they're strange words is interesting because the roots are not strange if I have the roots parsed out correctly. Yeah. Um, the root is, you know, of parent or, you know, like we say in Perkea vote, wise person, elder, and um, yidonim, to know, right? So this seems to be almost a perversion of roots that are very common to us and well known about, you know, normally these roots are used in terms of people who actually know stuff and who are respected and who are knowledgeable. And this seems to be a complete flipping around of the meaning of those words. And why? Right. Right. Which, can I can I add like a quarter twist on that question, which is like what what can what can we learn from the fact that these seemingly like abhorrent essentially things are connected to words that we know slash words that seem to be connected to like things that we have a very positive affiliation with, right? There, there's I think there's a lot to explore in there. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, and I th- this will get to more of what. I found in these verses later, but also it's, it's, it's potentially not as far off as we're making it seem. I think that the English translation makes it feel as though um, these words that, as you pointed out, we know so well now mean something different, but I, I think, and you'll let me know once I teach on this, I think they're actually 
very closely connected um, to ideas that we have that that we're just translating here into something um, that means that has a different connotation in English. Uh, Denise, and then Elon, and then Renee, and then Nancy, and then Jay. Okay, so um, so when I said like, do not inquire familiar spirits, the first thing that popped in my head was Alice Walker, Temple of My Familiar. Um, and then it just made me think about like tribal religions and things like that. Yeah. And in the ancient world, I mean, in tribal religions, even now, a lot of those rituals are connected to drug use, hallucinations, things like that. But there's a lot of people who think that that was even the case in the ancient world and even things like the Oracle of Delphi and stuff in Greece. So my question is, could this be read as kind of an admonition to stay away from like drug induced experiences, euphorias, insights, different kinds of things? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I have nothing on that, but maybe Robert Shapiro does. Um, but yeah, potentially. I mean, I, I, I do think it's interesting that going back to my statement before, um, and with Robert Shapiro's faith down, I won't know if he agrees with me or not. Um, the, all, all of these things are making us separate from other nations and other religions and other cultures, right? That's what kadosh means. It means to separate, to sanctify so that we are separate. So bringing up what other cultures do in your statement and your, and in your question, um, is, it, it, it's a very powerful way of also thinking about kadoshim, right? How do we, how do we distinguish ourselves? How do we separate ourselves so that we are doing something different than the other cultures around us? Elon. Yeah, I'm curious. When you read these um, verses, there seems to be an acknowledgement that there are ghosts and familiar spirits. So, uh, so I'm curious as to why it's not, hey, you morons, these things don't <laughs> exist. So what are you doing? As opposed to, yeah, they exist, but uh, but uh, don't put any faith in them, right? And, and and what is it? Is it in fact the belief of the author that they do in fact exist and that they should be ignored or not turned to, or does the author believe that they do not exist? Yeah, right. it's a really, it's a great point. That if we're talking about it, then does that mean that? that they are there for us to interact with, or is it just saying that because we know that the people who we are dealing with, who are reading this text could potentially think that they exist. Um, it's a very, it's a very good point. I don't, Renee. I don't know if, I don't know if Rabbi Schatz, if you found stuff on that, I actually looked at that a little bit. Did you, did you see anything on that? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I so I'm happy to speak to that in a little bit. Um, because I think it's interesting. Um, and I also think it would be fascinating if the phrase, hey, you morons, was included more frequently in the Torah. Definitely. Renee. So my two quest parts, I guess. If if it's clear that in all of these, if the ghosts or the whatever, the spirits are going to be, uh, uh, there's going to be a negative uh, repercussion from them be appearing in someone's life, why would Hashem put them there to begin with? or allow that to even exist. And the second part is how come there, there doesn't seem to be in within that any mention of like Ruach HaKodesh. Yeah, great point. How is the, how is the idea of ghosts or spirits um, different than 
the way that we experience God, um, especially when in today's day, and even at this point in the Torah, people were not experiencing God as a personified figure, but rather as a type of spirit. Great point. Nancy. So I'll admit to being influenced by popular culture, maybe even Christianity, where they talk about, you know, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. But I'm yeah. curious as to way back here in the Torah, what does it actually mean when the word ghost is used? Or from Yeah, yeah. Great, great question. And I do have some stuff on that. Um, I the think stay puffed, the, rabbis, the stay puffed marshmallow man. I think that the rabbis didn't really know. Um, because similar to Elon's question, like, is it here because we're supposed to actually know what these things are? Or is it here because other people around us believed in it? So we assume that we then could come to believe in it as well. Um, so it's not exactly clear, but, but we will see how the rabbis at least try to explain it. Um, but yes, when we hear like Holy Spirit, especially like in modern day, we don't think Jewish, we think Christian because you think of, you know, the Holy Spirit as being part of this um, Trinity that we don't, we don't bring into our own religiosity. Jay. I thought it was fascinating that a lot of times in Torah, we just see it says a man who has something. Yeah. And I thought it was fascinating that in verse 27, they say, a man or woman shall be put to death. They shall be pelted with stones. And then my other thing that I've always learned is a lot of times that these death put to deaths are sort of like threats. There's nothing in the Torah that says these never, these ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of karate, this is what I think you're getting at. The idea of karate. Um, so karate is one type of um, punishment. There's also lashes. There's there's all kinds of stone stoning. There's all kinds of different um, punishments that can that can occur to a person based on if they don't follow a rule or if they somehow have to be kicked out of the community. Karate is the like highest of them, the most egregious, I guess you could say, of them because not only are you sent away from your community, but your your soul is cut off. Karate means to cut or to um, to separate. So. So you are literally cut off, your entire being is cut off from the community. And what Jay is getting at is that our rabbis often discussed how the um, similar to when you say to a kid, you know, don't do this, this is the consequence, and it's a, a crazy consequence, you might not always get to that crazy consequence, you might, you might bring it back a little bit, that the most egregious of consequences was often just used so that you knew that the thing that you're not supposed to do was an egregious action, um, that it was kind of high up on this tier of what not to do. So we don't know whether or not it was ever, um, uh, brought about in, you know, punishing people. Um, but our rabbis believe that it probably was not, uh, because there's always ways of bringing it about, but then the people are still there. And so it was just seen as this egregious act, um, to make people nervous that that's what would happen if you did perform this. Uh, Bonnie. So if it says a man or woman who has a ghost, I don't know how exactly the different translation or in the Hebrew, how is it known whether a person, do they keep it hidden? Are people going to them 
um, for requests or help, um, you know, or are they next to them? Yeah. Great, great question. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, who, I don't know. Who knows? Um, <laughs> um, but the man and woman thing is really interesting. I actually found an extremely sexist commentary that I'm going to share with all of you because I think it's like so sexist that it's actually kind of funny. Um, that I'll Only one? I found a bunch of extremely things on that on i just that. didn't read them all because it's like okay how often can we talk about yes there's a woman like all right move on um but one of them that i read was just like <laughs> extremely sexist so we'll read that together um but yeah i don't know i don't know what the practice was and it seems like the rabbis also didn't really know like was this something that they were doing because other people were doing it? Is this something that was actually happening? I mean, it all kind of goes back to Elon of like, is this something we've actually believed in? Or are we just worried that because other people around us might believe in it, we would start believing in it. So um, I'm sure Rajvira also has some stuff on this. Uh, it comes up a little bit that the rabbis feel just as ambiguous about this as we do. Um, thank you. Is this the Torah you're bringing today? A picture of ghosts? No ghosts. Oh, no ghost. Very straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. The Torah yeah. anticipated Ghostbusters. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm very happy about it. I'm so glad. Okay. Why don't you share some of your pieces that you found? I just shared the most important part. I um, okay. I'll, I'll speak. I found it interesting. I was, I, I think, first of all, like, I love that we can generate so many fantastic questions about Three verses about ghosts and spirits. Uh, it makes me very happy. Um, I'll, I'll speak a little bit to the question, Elon, that you were raising about, like, is it is it real or is it not real, right? Like, are, are these things that really are happening, so that's why we have to be warned about them? Or are these things that are, like, like why bother even worrying about them? them like if if you start trending in the direction of thinking about this don't bother because it's not a real thing and as you can probably guess when asked an either or question if you look to the rabbinic sources the answer is of course depends who you ask right like of, of course there are multiple opinions on this um all the, but some like really strongly worded opinions which is also really noticed to see that that there is real a, that there's real disagreement and B, that, you know, you don't express a strong opinion unless it's something that, that you really care about and feel that you really have a stake in. Um, so, so I think that that's interesting to note. Um, I'll, I'll also foreground it by just saying that, you know, at least for me as a descendant of the great intellectual tradition of Wissenschafter Judentums, which I haven't said publicly in a while, but is always good to say publicly, right? Like this sort of intellectually based understanding of Judaism. Like I read this stuff and it's like pish posh, right? Like of course, why are we talking about ghosts and the supernatural in this way? But there's a long standing, um, thread in our tradition in which this stuff is quite prevalent. Um, even leading up until today, just with some friends a few Shabbatot ago, um, when we were hanging out with them in their backyard, like uh, he grew up in like Chabad and the way in which the Rebbe was talked about in terms of like literally his supernatural powers. And when you think about Hasidut and the role of the Tzaddik, um, that seems to be pretty supernatural. And a lot of Sephardic communities, there definitely seems to be 
a sense of miracle work realm bordering on magic. Um, it, it's a thread in our tradition. Um, and it's, it's just interesting for me to note that since it's certainly not something that I grew up immersed in, but it seems to very much be in there. Um, if you don't, if you don't know the story of Saul and the witch of Endor, uh, it's fun Shabbat reading. We won't get into it now, but, but these ideas pop up there too, particularly those words. Um, in terms of whether this is real or not, um, (laughs) even Ezra says this, The empty heads say, so I think pulling from, from Elon's language of what should be in the Torah, the empty heads say that if there was no truth in the Ovot and in the various magical practices, then scripture would not have prohibited them, right? That, that his opinion is, if you have an empty head, that's what you think. Like, why would you say don't worry about it if it's not really there? However, I say the reverse, Scripture would not have permitted that which was true. It only prohibited that which is false, right? So there's a logic to that. It's not an issue of it's there, so you don't have to worry about it, or you shouldn't worry about it, rather. It's that, of course, this is a false thing. Of course, this isn't something that you should be focusing on. So that's why you're being told, don't focus on it. So there seems to be some some validity to that perspective. There's more there, but I'll, I'll pause there. Whereas Sforno, who you can describe in many ways, but I at least wouldn't describe as empty-headed. That's me personally. I don't know how you guys feel about Sforno, but I think he was a pretty smart dude. He says um, pretty much the opposite, right? He says, the Torah prohibits this in the strongest terms, meaning not only must you not turn towards them, but you must turn your back on them and on any other phenomena similar to them. The Torah does not need to add that no respect or deference must be shown to such phenomena. So he's he's taking it basically at face value and saying, like, these are things that exist and you're being told not to do this in very, very strong terms because you should be keeping away from them. And I think there seems to be an internal logic to that as well. But you so didn't just, read the be- you didn't read the beginning of that score, no, which I think is is such an interest. That's why I put it on my source sheet, actually. OK, go go for it. This is, like, this is like the second or third time we've done this, that I read the second part of something. Yeah. Well, because the beginning says, seeing that the seeking out of oracles, such as the Ovar Yidoni, so these like ghosts or spirits for the Gentiles is something akin to inquiring about their fate from God. And it involves instead of consulting the living God, consulting the dead or their remains. And to me, what's so interesting about that is, is that in, Instead of you going to God and praying or having relationship with God or whatever, you're now going to something completely different. And that's actually what they were nervous about was that you're going to go away from your religion to try to access something that might be um, easier to access, might be might be more kind of available to you. And so it is interesting that you brought the second part. So I was like, oh, the first part's what I like. Right. And to say, Elon, I see your hand. I just want to say like, two three quarters thoughts on that one of which is like it makes me think about the ease of like walking into you know one of the palm reading places on la cienega as opposed to like learning liturgy building community right like easier to go just get your palm read right just pay your 20 bucks whatever it is you go and oh okay this is what i should do yeah um and joanna to to part of the point that that you were asking about and making earlier in terms of that language i think that's very much connected here too right when you think about the avot, and you think about 
Dea and you think about knowledge, right? Yeah. Interesting to think about where do you go to a sense of connection with your ancestors? Where do you go for a sense of connection with wisdom and knowledge? And locating that within our tradition instead of turning to sort of the illegitimate or discredited or non-existent or idolatrous places where you might find that instead. And that, I yeah. think, Rabbi Schatz, you were speaking, like you were referring to that a little bit, but I think that this is, this is one of the places where the richness of Hebrew is really helpful because I do think it deepens an understanding. You don't get that when you read like ghost or spirit, right? I right, can, right, I can, right. Uh, the language being used there is is very intentional and I think clues us into some of the uh, the bigger thematic pieces of what's going on. Here. Yeah. Yeah, Elon. Oh, sorry. Uh, so as I think you can imagine, I'm, I'm much more comfortable with the Ibn Ezra interpretation because to me, that's much more scientific, which is, and, and intellectually uh, palpable, which is, guys, this doesn't exist. The Torah is telling you to... Uh, ignore it because you're ignoring something that's not there, and that's fine. What troubles me with Sforno, it's, it's kind of anti-scientific, which is it's saying, yes, they do exist, but ignore it, mm-hmm. right? which is, uh, it's, 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 or, or don't pay attention to it. It's almost as if you're saying, uh, yes, I believe in uh, aliens and ET and UFOs, but yeah, don't worry about it. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I would rather the guy who says, you know what, it's all BS, and the Torah is just pointing that out because the people should ignore this BS. I'm, I'm not sure that... Um, if if Sforno is acknowledging that it ex- exists, it's problematic. Then one has to deal with it. One can't just ignore it. I, I, there, I think there's another possibility there as well that occurred to me as you're talking about this, which is maybe there's also the sense that if someone really, really believes in this, going at them and telling it doesn't exist might mean you can't have a conversation with them at all. Whereas if you're working with them within their understanding and saying, okay, whatever you believe, if you believe it exists, you just shouldn't go to it is a different kind of thing, right? Instead of arguing with them about veracity, you're rather trying to like bring them back into, to the community is the other possibility that came to mind for me as you were talking. It's kind of a more populist uh, perspective. Yeah, that, right. That there, that there's a popular, that there's a populist belief to it. And instead of going back and forth with people about whether or not it's real, you're just saying, all right, whatever you think, we just come back to show, right? (laughs) Like like, just, just, just come, come over here. Um, Maybe that's a piece of it too. And I'm, I'm confident that there was at least a decent chunk of the population wandering the wilderness or in ancient Israel or, or where, wherever you think they were when they first heard this. I, I, I'm, I'm confident there was at least a decent subset of that population that really thought these things existed, right? It's, it's 3,000 years ago, right? Like 300 years ago, we thought like leeches would help people, you know, recover from whatever it was, right? Like you think about how long ago this was and how people might have thought about stuff. I'm, I'm confident that there were people amongst the Israel who really believed in this stuff. I think that's likely. Well, and also, especially at this point in our Torah, because again, we've moved away from God showing up at your tent to God being this spirit that lives in a, Susan's here, everyone. <laughs> oh, special guest she, appearance over in a different Zoom box. She left her office and is now in mine. Uh, they can't see you. 
Susan. Yes, Matt, Rabbi Shapiro. What would you like? Okay, I'm going to continue now. Um, <laughs> a little bit scary. Um, okay, that uh, that when you are when you are now in this era of thinking of God as this thing that you have to go and visit in the temple or through sacrifices or something, I think that it's easier for us to imagine that people would have tried to find other spirits in other ways because we're, we're transitioning into a very different, and I'm not trying to say that the same people were around when God was a personified character, but rather, um, but rather the generations are now transitioning into an experience of believing in a God that they cannot see, they cannot feel, they cannot interact with. And so it you're, is you're like your your golden calf connecting it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It is spirit like. And so you're looking you're looking for that kind of you're looking for that kind of connection. I'll also add for for those of you who don't like these translations at all, I found a little bit from Reb Simcha Bunim that from my perspective, is totally against the the shot of the verse, but he goes in a different direction. Instead of saying like the Ovot are connected to this idea of um, like for like ancestors or forefathers or whatever you want to call it, he connects it with another translation of Aleph Vet Hey, which is like desire, and he and he works with the idea of Dea as as thought, and he basically talks about it, it's it's a stretch. But he basically says that what this first verse is prohibiting is not being stuck in just desire or thought, but being grounded in action, which I don't think really lines up with the shot at all. But it's a yeah. it's a lovely it's a lovely drash. Um, yeah. I, my guess is that he's also kind of in the Elon Spar school of thought on this and trying to find a way to kind of wiggle out, wriggle out of like the Torah talking about ghosts and seeing it as more of like a um a direction in terms of, of like the role of, of the primacy of action, um, like, like doing something concrete as opposed to being stuck in, in desire, feeling thought um, within the Jewish tradition, which, which as we know also is, is a substantial thread in our tradition, right? Yeah. And so on and so forth. Um, I don't think it's shot. I'm not sure I buy the drosh, um, but it's but it's an interesting piece to, to throw into the mix. Um, I'm gonna. Does anybody else have any thoughts on this lens? I'm gonna kind of take us in a different direction, so I don't want to derail. If the only other thing thoughts. I want to make sure to say is that in the Sifra they talk about how uh, Yidoni is a wizard who speaks from his armpits. Um, in which case, I have at least two of those in my house. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I wanted to make sure to, sh- I wanted to, that felt important to share. That yeah, felt like an important that was, piece of That was really important. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you shared it. Um, and let's, Susan just walked in to tell me that, if, that we're glad that you shared it. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> I can demonstrate better what I meant by that the next time I see you in person. That was, that, okay. Um, that helpful? No. So I, uh, when I read these verses, the first thing that came to mind for me was actually loss um, and death and actually like the idea of yisker, um, that, that very often we come to moments of remembering those who we've lost and we're not conjuring them up 
or or at least I, I have not experienced a belief in those who I've lost living amongst me and my family as ghosts. But in moments like Yisker, when we do very often, at least the rabbis ask you to really bring the person to mind or have them in your midst. Um, that's actually when I read these verses, that was the first thing that came to mind. Like, are we are we asking for the people who have died to become spirits to us in our life? Um, so again, this is kind of taking us away from imagining these spirits or ghosts as things that could be compared to God and rather using them as uh, a, a healing mechanism for those that we've lost in our life in the past. So I want to just bring to, and I was, it, I was, Intrigued by the fact that some rabbis kind of went in this in a similar direction. Um, so Rashi, when it says do not seek, Rashi seems to be saying that you're busying yourselves with these spirits or with these ghosts. Because if you busy yourself with them, you will become defiled in God's sight and I shall abhor you. Now, that brings in this as Elon was pointing out, it's also not a theology that I believe in. I don't believe that, um, that this is the type of, of experience that, uh, is real and therefore would, would mean that God had to separate God's self from us. And I think that what's interesting about the first part of this, I guess we're doing a lot of like, splicing out <laughs> um, commentaries today. But I think that what's interesting about the beginning part of this commentary of Rashi is that there, se- there seems to be some kind of busyness, some kind of la'asok means to, to busy yourself or to work through with these ghosts. And therefore, at least to me, that seems to mean that they're with you all the time. Like when we say the blessing for reading Torah, which Weirdly enough, it's on my other screen, actually. Um, bizarre. But when when we think about La Asok Bedivre Torah, we are trying to busy ourselves in words of Torah. We're trying to actually completely consume ourselves in the words of Torah. And so it's it is curious to me that uh, that Rashi seemed to think that if ghosts or spirits were part of our um consciousness that we would somehow be just completely overwhelmed and and kind of consumed by what that would do to uh, to our lives and to bring it back to the whole to the Yisker piece for a second i, I um i would be worried in the in the grieving piece of things that if someone was so consumed with the memory or the living with that person when they were once alive, that there would not be steps to then live without that person alive any longer. Um, so that was that was a connection that I made. It might be a little bit more drash than it is shot, but for me, when Rabbi Shapiro suggested these verses because he likes Ghostbusters, I looked at them and uh, and uh, and thought of that. So I'm happy to hear thoughts, and then I'll move to the uh, to the woman and man piece after this, which is completely different. Yeah, Karen. I just was thinking about <clears throat> people who have a, uh, a mental problem and perhaps seeing ghosts mm. and, you know, living and talking and doing and being. Yeah. Those, those people would be put to death. 
Well, I mean, man, that is a loaded question because I think for a whole other set of reasons in the Torah, yes, <laughs> I don't think, I think spirits and ghosts is kind of like the least of the Torah's worries. I mean, when in next week's Parsha, actually, there's a whole litany of reasons why if a person has this or, or, um, or needs this and therefore makes them different from that person that they are what's considered a moom. They are considered someone who is, um, I guess we would say like disabled or, or, um, not like everybody else, I guess is what the Torah is really trying to say. So your question is more loaded than you even know, but yeah, it would be a reason that, that they would be, but more so because of the mental illness, less so because of the ghost piece, I think. Did you have anything to say on that, Rabbi I saw you pop up. I mean, I have a lot to say about the role of Jewish law and and mental illness and compassion and honoring the directions people are in while walking with them towards healing. Um, That's surprising because people like that typically work at like, you know, Beit Shuba. So it's surprising. (laughs) Um, I I guess just very briefly, I, I think obviously our understanding of of the life of the mind and mental illness has shifted a little bit over the past 3000 years. Um, And I mean, I don't know. I would, I would contrast Karen, what you just said with what Rabbi Schatz just said. I mean, Rabbi Schatz, I hadn't thought about the concept of like conjuring up someone's memory in Yisker. I had, I hadn't connected those two pieces, mm-hmm. um, which is a really powerful thing to do. And I think brings some really healing moments for people. Yeah. What, what's the line between that and what Karen's talking about, right? What's the, what's the line between that and awareness? And, right. But, but we yeah. don't, we, we don't always have agency over what we are yeah. and aren't aware of in terms of, yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, t- I talk to myself, shocking no one, um, right? And so, so like, if I'm thinking about my mom and who, who thankfully is alive, right? <laughs> but, but like, if I'm thinking about my mom or like one of my grandmas who passed away, who I know, like, and like my, my mom's mom, who was a diehard Mets fan, right? And I see the Mets are winning and I think to myself, oh, grandma, Mets are winning. Like, I don't know. What, what's the line there? Yeah. Yeah, I yes, there there is a lot to unpack in terms of the men, mental illness piece of that for sure. Um, and I think that the that the difference, at least for me, the difference would be that that those who we might be, I mean, when you and I were walking down the street yesterday, like there was someone who was walking towards us talking to themselves, and you and I both kind of like moved a little, right? Because you because those people are unpredictable, um, and so it, I think that 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 um, that element of unpredictability, as opposed to bringing someone to mind, and I agree with you wholeheartedly that especially in moments of grief, you don't always let go of those moments of bringing a person to mind um, soon enough. Uh, but I think, but I think that that is there is a line there of like what we would probably call healthy uh, boundary between um, bringing someone to mind and just hearing voices. Right, but but there, I mean. Yeah. Like, like I said, I have, I have a lot to say on this. The, the one other linguistic piece I'll just quickly name again is this idea of ovot and yidonim, right? Like this idea of ancestors and knowledge, I think is, yeah. is just such an interesting linguistic framework to keep circling back to as we, yeah. particularly then through the lens of grief, right? Yeah. It's such interesting um, 
Yeah, the, wor- the words are interesting through this context as well. Yeah, Nancy. So, excuse me, why does that always happen? Um, <laughs> um, I, I really like this, your thoughts about this in terms of, of grief and all, and, and right, it speaks to our having a, a, a lot of boundaries, right, with, with ritual around mourning and, um, you know, which I think is really healthy, right? You know, this very intense that takes you to, you know, less and less and less intense. So um, again, I think it's right about boundaries and about helping us be more mentally healthy about it and not continually obsessed as hard as that. Yeah, I I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, Renee. Which, which, mm, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, I think- Go ahead, Rabbi. I just want to say it connects back to this idea that Ilan and I were going back and forth with a little bit also in terms of like the popular sense of like meeting people where they're at. Like that that's that's connected as well, I think. Like how, yeah. how much how much are you saying to someone like that doesn't exist, stop believing in it, right? Like that's not for sure. Uh, or if, if someone's mentally of- ill, like saying to them, like if someone's having like really intense yeah. experience of of schizophrenic delusions and you say to them that that's not real stop it like that's not going to help that's not going to be that's, a helpful that's exactly what i was going to say that there's a difference between you talking to your grandma who died and or keeping her in mind and somebody who's blatantly schizophrenic and you know i mean i had a woman once that was that that was convinced that she was impregnated by with six babies and that there was a devil that was stabbing her on her back and you know, I could, there's no, like you said, there was no way that I could have said, I mean, obviously it wasn't true, but there's no way I could have said that because yeah. in her world and in her mind, that's what she believed. So we had a right, way to deal with that. Which is, which is, I think actually what the rabbis are getting at in their interpretation of what spirits can do to you, right? You knew it wasn't real, but this person felt like it was extremely real. And by the way, if you did have six babies in your belly, you probably would feel like someone was stabbing you in the back, but that's neither here nor there. Um, True that. <laughs> um, it just probably would be painful. Um, but I, I think that it, that's, ex- that's a really great point to the mindset that I think the rabbis are in and interpreting this because there is an element of what we see as reality, but when a person is living through it, I mean, with anything, right? If you're living through an experience that you are feeling in such a deep way, you are experiencing that in a way that someone looking into it cannot influence you because you're in it. And that just, it it just is what it is, you know, whether you're a mentally healthy person or not. So I think that was a great, um, a great example of what, what the rabbis seem to be doing with these texts here. And to which, to which I know you want to talk about sexism for a minute. No, (laughs) I would never stand in the way of that. Um, I don't want to talk but, about it. I, I just want to share this fun just thing. Just quickly name like the binary that you held up is like. Oh, good. I think I just froze up. Mm. You did, but it's okay. You're back now. Am I back? back? Yeah, you are back. I'm back. Now you're and we're back live from Los Angeles. Okay, very good. Um, I just wanted to name very quickly like that binary of mental. You're not, you're not a ghost. Not. Oh, very good. Like it's, it's not a, it's not necessarily binary being neither do you necessarily stay in one place or the other, right? Like there's a spectrum of mental health and sometimes you 
are in a healthier place than others. And there might be moments when you're experiencing very intense grief, when you feel someone's presence very, very closely. Yeah. And then you move out of that. Right. And again, like, so, so interesting that like, even Ezra Sforno dichotomy and, and applying that and going back to the language of it. This has wound up being a much deeper conversation about perception of reality, grief, and experiencing the world in a healthy way than I anticipated it might be, which... Well, you just anticipated we were going to talk about Ghostbusters. So I think anything beyond that was a little bit, you know, deeper than expected. Um, Bonnie. I was just going to ask if, seeing as in ancient days, I'm sure that they had mental illness and things as well, do you think that the sentence about the people who might be have a familiar or be involved in that were mentally ill as well? I think that the rabbis at least believe that it was actually just non-Jews, which doesn't make it better, um, but but makes it just that we were separated, you know, the, that they were the people who engaged in this and we are the people who don't. Um, but it's definitely possible. I mean, I think even today and 20 years from now, there will be things that that people are saying, wow, they really clumped all those things together and they didn't really even know what they were talking about. I think that's probably what what we are doing in 2021 to the text in terms of thinking like, well, what do we have in today's day that we can then, you know, parse out from what they're saying in the Torah here? So it's it's definitely possible the way that the rabbis at least seem to be reading it is that it's trying to differentiate us from other cultures and other religions and tribes who are living amongst us. The Rav Shavir doesn't seem to agree with that. So I don't, I'm maybe, maybe he does think that it's people who had mental illness. It's a lot of conjecture. I, I, I don't know. I think it's possible that that's how they saw it, but I don't, I, I don't have uh there's a lot more to say there. I don't, I don't know. I don't know either way, but it's time for you to talk about sexism now talk about it. I just want to bring up that one thing. It's not, and Jay, Jay's not even here. <laughs> he was the one who asked the question. Um, I, I, I'll bring it up. It's, it's a very, uh, I think, funny because it's so terrible uh, commentary. So this is on the last verse of our three verses here. So on Leviticus 20, 27. So you can see it here. And the Tur HaRuch says any, that it says any man or woman practicing the cult of Ov or you don't e. Here again, by the way, Bonnie, this is what makes me believe that it's culture. Like you wouldn't call it a cult if it was people who had mental illness. You, they're calling it that because I think it's people, uh, just different people than than we are. And it says the reason that the Torah mentions the word isha, especially, although like all negative commandments, women are as culpable as men, which is true, is because women far more than men are known to have practiced in these cults. Well, thank you very much. It's so lovely to know that you that you just you're playing into the fact that women are just susceptible to all things, and this thing too they got trapped in. Um, so oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> I just thought that was a very uh, a funny way of of reading um, into the text. Though, when we think about those in our culture or even in other cultures who are most interested in, um, <laughs> you, you can't just write no comment. You have to say it to the, to, you have to say it to the podcast humans. Um, 
those who are most interested in like Zodiac and what's it called when you like horoscope and those kinds of things for the most part, I don't, I don't love the alls or the, you know, it's always this way, the stereotypes or anything like that for the most part, however, at least in my experience, those have been women. And so though we're not talking about that kind of thing right now we're not talking about horoscope and reading stars and all of that that's that's a whole different mazalot is a whole different experience and um something to talk about in the torah but but it is possible that those things at this time were clumped together and definitely for the torah Ruch, it's possible that even in his day he was seeing that women were the ones who were more interested i don't know more you know influence but more interested at least in in those kinds of um connections elon did you want to say something to that yeah i just want to suggest that 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 is possibly true however i would suggest that it, it was probably a reaction to the that that in the standard uh in the standard beliefs women were uh clearly put in a second uh, second place citizens, right? Yeah. So to the extent that they were like, okay, what you guys believe and what's kind of agreed as, as, as the standards, actually, we're not doing too well under that system. Yeah. So, therefore, they, they may have been more likely to look at uh, non-traditional or non-standard um, ways to think because the, 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 the current way wasn't actually working too well for them. Right. So it, it's perfectly, I, I don't, um, I think where this interpretation kind of misses is it doesn't understand why that's the case. Um, I love that. <laughs> that's a really beautiful way of reading this along with the other chats that came in. Um, I guess I was just a little bit of a cynic when I read it the first time, but I, I love that idea that the women, there's a very interesting midrash that I really like, but whenever I've taught it to women, they seem to not like it. So I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm missing in this midrash, but there's a midrash in the building on the Mishkan that there were mirrors put up um, that the, that the women came to the Mishkan in a, um, for, for different reasons and the men were coming to the Mishkan and these mirrors kind of symbolize that. And I think that it's that what you're getting at Elon is, is so interesting and such a beautiful way of us thinking about how anybody does, doesn't matter what your gender is, how anybody comes to spirituality differently and needs different things. And so maybe the women, like you were saying, weren't finding it in the ways that the men were or the ways that, the, that their tribe was, was suggesting that they be spiritual. And so they went in a different direction. And now we're just being told that that wasn't the way to go. I, I love you have turned, uh, you've turned me on to this, uh, to this commentary here. It's a, that's a lovely way of reading it. Rashmi, are you unmuted for a moment and then went back to muted? So did you want to say anything or? Well, Joanna has her hand up and then I think we're about at time. So I'll let, I'll let, I'll cede to Joanna and I'll, if, maybe she'll beat me to the punch, and either way, then maybe we'll we'll look right. Okay, Joanna. So, just very quickly, two thoughts that pop into mind. One is like in terms of that comment about women. When I think about like people, especially let's say who work in the arts, right? Like, so sometimes like an artist, whether it's a musician or um, you know an artist who draws or whatever it is. They create things of incredible beauty, but every once in a while, like something pops out and like 
you're like, what is that? That's like terrible. That's awful. How could this amazing person have produced that? And I think sometimes like, so too, like, you know, we, you know, if we fall into that stereotype of women, women are more perceptive or whatever, they're pushing bounds and limits in a certain way. But sometimes like it could be in either direction. It could be like really great and positive or it could be in the not so great direction. Yeah. And and maybe one interpretation is this is trying to balance that. The other thing thought that's popping into my mind is like what is considered out of bounds at any given time? Like, mm-hmm. I remember as a kid, for example, that like homeopathic medicine was considered really like fringe and crazy and whatever. And more and more, it's become accepted. And I'm aware of some medical practices now that combine traditional medicine with homeopathic practices. And so like, how do we interpret what sort of inbounds and out of bounds in terms of these verses at any moment in time? Totally. Yeah. Rabbi Shapiro. It's a great point. I mean, it it actually goes back to it might have been Renee who said something about drugs. Renee, were you talking about drugs? Somebody was talking about drugs. Um, right, but like the the current ex. Oh, was it you, Nancy? Who was it was about? Denise. It was Denise. oh Denise. Denise always coming up with crazy stuff. Denise. Um, no, but I but I think outside of that potential cultural context as well, it makes me think about the current exploration of. Um, you know, small doses of psychedelics to treat PTSD and severe cases of depression, right? Like that's something that certainly has been out of the mainstream for a little while and is relatively new. And it's completely crazy and off the wall until it's something that's an acceptable treatment, right? Right, right. Um, so I, I wonder about that. Um, uh, rather, getting out of the men are from Mars, women are from Venus flavor of this a little bit, um, but diving back briefly into the comment rabbi shots that you brought in addition, Elon, to what you were saying, which I really appreciate as well. Um, the sense that maybe this is just people weren't necessarily getting what they were looking for out of something. And so more prone to look elsewhere. I also wonder about just the general othering nature of that, right? Like when yeah. you point your finger at someone, you've got one finger pointing at them and three fingers pointing back at you, right? It's like, no, we don't do that. You do that you guys do the crazy, right? Whatever it is. They, like, it's easy to other and say, that's not something because I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that there weren't a lot of women in this yeshiva where he was teaching this, yeah. right? It's yeah. easier to say, that's what you guys are doing. We're not doing that. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I wonder about the role of othering, which I think is also just generally interesting in this larger context of holiness and differentiation and us versus them, um, and the role of taking like ownership and accountability um, yeah. for the things that that might be compelling for any number of reasons, for all the reasons we've been talking about for the past however many minutes about grief and feeling close and seeking wisdom and whatever it might be, right? Like I, I do fall in the school of like, you wouldn't need to have a rule for it unless people were doing it, right? Like I, I, I don't need to say don't teleport because no one's teleporting, right? Like it's, it's not a question, like, like we don't need to worry about people teleporting. So there don't need to be any regulations around teleporting, but I do need to say, don't drive over 70 miles per hour on the freeway because people drive over 70 miles per hour on the freeway. Right. So, so I do think there's, there's something to that here um, as well. 
Rashad, do you want to you want to close this out? This is a, a wide ranging discussion. I, I thought that second. was a great. I thought oh. that was a great close. I think that I, the yeah. one thing I would add is I, we're about to get into um, a slew of partio where we're doing exactly what you what you just uh, described, which is really have this us versus them conversation, and and often it's done in a in a beautiful way to try to make us feel like more of a community. But we have to be careful about what does it mean to talk about ourselves as forming community around these uh, these these elements that make us who we are and then potentially ostracize us from other communities that could be influencing us um, to see just different parts of, of life and culture and ritual that, that would actually enhance who we are. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.